Patrick Alpert and Keyboard Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraph Study. My guest on this edition of Fangraph Study, making his weekly Monday appearance on a Tuesday. It's his weekly Monday appearance, except occurring on a Tuesday, is the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. What follows as he does each week on the program, Dave Cameron endeavors here to analyze all baseball of particular note this week. The Cincinnati Reds appear destined to trade reliever Raldis Chapman and only slightly less destined to trade third baseman Todd Frazier. What, I asked Dave Cameron, has gotten them to the situation? What will they receive uh, back in these trades? And uh, when will the trades happen? Of course, Dave Cameron doesn't really know the answer specifically to any of those things. He makes educated guesses, is what he does. He makes educated guesses. Jason Hayward's free agency has caused uh, more than one writer of Fangraphs to meditate on that player's skills. I asked Dave Cameron to continue meditating on those skills and to explain how uh, Jason Hayward, who... Uh, possibly might receive the largest contract of all free agents this offseason, could still be considered the offseason's best bargain. Now that's even possible. Finally, as a gift to uh, the listener, I've isolated a brief clip from this edition of The Conversation to follow, which listener, in those moments when he's most frustrated uh, with Dave Cameron, might care to play in a loop uh, for his or her own amusement. People didn't really like that idea. Once again, it's Dave Cameron admitting, with regard to one of his pieces, that people didn't really like that idea. As I say, a conversation with Dave Cameron is to follow. Following even more closely, however, is a message from our sponsor. A sponsor is Draft and the Draft app. If you're familiar with FanDuel or DraftKings, those are daily fantasy sports games. Draft is also a daily fantasy sports game. Different, however, in that it is designed exclusively for mobile devices. How you play is almost too easy after downloading the app. You find an opponent, uh, which would either be a friend or an internet stranger, already part of the Draft universe. You conduct a snake draft. Each select five players. Those players accrue fantasy points, and whoever you or your opponent has accrued the most fantasy points is the winner of this particular game. Do you have a problem, uh, listener, where you have money burning a hole in your pocket? You're constantly having to buy new slacks because of all the money that is singeing the lining of your pockets and therefore falling down your pant leg onto the city streets? Well, uh, allow me to offer a solution to you, an alternative. You can, if you are so inclined wager American currency on these games. And I know you may uh, be curious because the baseball season is over and may be curious why I, host of a baseball podcast, might even be mentioning this to you. It's because Draft offers not merely uh, baseball fantasy sports games, but also uh, those for football, both professional and collegiate, and also NHL and NBA games. No doubt you are curious as to where you could acquire the Draft app. Well, allow me to inform you if you're the sort of person who has an iPhone, uh, which runs the iOS operating system, you can go to the App Store. Contrary-wise, if you have an Android, if you have the Android operating system, uh, simply navigate to Google Play or something like Google Play. You can download the app there. And in so doing, uh, supporting Fangraph's audio a little bit. Okay, that is uh, that is the message from the sponsor. What we have to follow is a conversation. What is it? It is Fangraph's audio. It features Dave Cameron, the managing editor of Fangraph's, and it begins right now. I had it on mute. I don't know if you know, it's a terrific um, default function. I believe we've discussed this uh, terrible, terrible decision on manufacturing. Yeah, and uh, the so this fantastic default setting on the yeah. microphone that both you and I have is it starts in mute. The fact that the word fault is in default. No, I something. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think it's a. I think it's a, a good. Think of the terrible things 
You say all the time, Dave Cameron, some of that needs to be censored. Well, I say them on the air, too. Yeah. yeah. People don't know all the filthy, terrible things you say off the air, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's true. At least, uh, Is it called on the air or off the air on a podcast? Because like, yeah, the I, term would be like from radio waves, right? Because they actually travel through the air. Yeah. I think, uh. Podcasts, I don't, I don't think use radio waves. I think we borrow some of the, we borrow some of the uh, same. On language. the wire, maybe? Yeah. Well, and, uh, I was, um, corresponding actually with a, with a, with a podcast listener who was trying, he was telling me how you're trying to explain to his, uh, 70 plus year old father the idea of a podcast. And, um, it's, uh, you know, it's not it's entirely. Radio. Yeah, it's radio. It's mostly like radio. So you use the radio it's re- term. It's pre-recorded radio. Right. Yeah. It's actually interesting. Like, uh, so this is one of maybe the most nerdy things about me. But when I was young, we didn't have TV when I was growing up. And so I used to listen to the radio a lot. It was like my, it was basically my TV replacement because we didn't have a TV. And so when I would go to sleep when I was like five, six, seven years old, there was an old time radio show that would come on that had like the radio shows from the twenties and thirties, like mm-hmm. the shadow and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I listened to when I was a kid. And those were basically podcasts, right? Like they were pre-recorded radio, uh, shows. And right. So, like, that's a good point. Like, we've yeah. just gone back in time. Like we've gone from like pre-recorded radio to live radio and now we're back to pre-recorded radio. You do find, uh, Right, you do find that, and there are some select, but even they are pretty uh, relatively new. Uh, there's certainly some like NPR programming, like uh, This American Life is quite popular, and then um, sort of out of that has come another program, Serial, which was, uh, I think, in some ways, uh, a, a return, a sort of a, a, re- a retro type of um, situation. Yeah, um, but all very interesting. You didn't but, want to talk about uh, the difference between radio and, and podcasting today. Not all day, no. Okay. Um, I guess we could talk about baseball. Although you don't, you don't talk about baseball. With Dane Perry and people seem to like it. I no, no. A, there is a. I will say there is a minority of listeners who <laughs> who enjoy it. Uh, but the, there is a majority of listeners <laughs> who, who are like, "What is this crap?" Who don't care for it at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Yeah. They really don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is actually something, and I don't know how this would manifest it, uh, manifest itself in the game that we enjoy. <clears throat> I, but I guess like it, it's something that happens with with broadcasting, for example, right? Um, if, and I think that uh, I've had these sorts of discussions. Like I, I think I've talked with Len Casper about it. Um, and if you were to, so when as a broadcaster, you're clearly appealing to rather a large audience, right? You know, um, the audience typically is uh, the the citizens, the residents of your broadcast area who also like that team. Correct. Um, and that is this, this is the sort of, this is what's binding everyone. And that's, that's a lot of people. And, uh, if, if Len Casper were to exhibit, uh, the full extent of his, say, sabermetric knowledge at all times during the, the broadcast, there are some people who might um, enjoy the broadcast even more, right? Yeah, and then many who would enjoy it less. Many who enjoy it less, so, right? There's always, yeah. it seems, is there there is the, there's a tension. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> if you would like to increase the pleasure of some people, you it is necessary for you to exclude at any sort of participation from another group of people. Right. 
Does that sound, uh, does that sound fair? I think there's a, you're right, there's a trade-off. It's like mm-hmm. a sliding scale where you can, uh, essentially improve the listenership of, uh, or the, the listener, uh, uh of like a minority, uh, at the cost of the majority. Right. Uh, but you might in, intensely improve the amount that the majority enjoys it. So like you're basically making a quantity quality decision, right? Like, do you want 10% of your audience to love you and 90% to be like mildly annoyed? Or do you want like, uh, half, 100%, like, of, you know, like right, 90% of your audience to, to, Think like you know uh, this is great, and ten percent to think you're a raging idiot. <laughs> or maybe that maybe that ninety percent isn't thinking this is great. They're like this is slightly right. This is slightly better than sitting in a quiet room, <laughs> right? I mean, when you're watching a broadcast, I mean, a broadcast the only requirement is that it's better than sitting in complete silence. Uh, that is so? a very low bar. Yeah, it's yes, of course it's a low bar, but. But, but that's, that is, that's, that's the basic requirement. Because have you ever actually, so I, I assumed, I assumed that, uh, once given the, the option for, um, merely ballpark sound. Right, noise, you would choose that, but you yes, don't. But I do not. No, yeah. I do not. Even if the broadcast isn't particularly great, uh, I think that I would, just to hear another human talking, over it, otherwise, and perhaps it's just a question of having become acquainted with, with, um, what are you doing, Dave Cameron? Uh, I was trying to help our nanny catch our dog <laughs> to go for a walk because Liberty has now been trained. Uh, she is detected when it's time to go for walks and she does, she does not like them and so she hides and runs away. She so doesn't let like, your dog doesn't like walks? She does with me. She uh, doesn't with other people. Oh, She's okay. super attached to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally, like, we, we should be clear. Like leaving my side. We should be yeah. clear. She's literally attached to you. Yeah, we're Siamese twins. You're Siamese twins. It's a weird case. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's really bizarre. Yeah. All right. Are you Are you done performing? Yeah, two I, be, I believe. I believe I, my assistance has been ended. Okay. All right. Let me ask you. We're ending that conversation, by the way. Although I think that it's worth. I don't know. Is that how you segued out of the terrible announcer? Thing? Yeah, I get. No, it wasn't so bad. But it's. Of course, there's always a question of. Wait, no, wait, the natural, the natural ballpark sound though. Have you ever done, have you ever listened to just that? I have, and I will admit that it's, uh, challenging in the aspect of like, I think a lot of times when I watch a game, I'm not only watching a game, I'm multitasking, and so I'm, you know, answering emails or answering texts or talking to my wife or trying to keep my kid alive or something along those lines. Yeah. And so it's helpful it, to have a voice be like, oh, and this just happened, or you hear like the, you know, the announcer's voice inflection and you can look up to the screen because you know that something's happening. Yes. Uh, or if there's like, you know, they're just rambling about like the local Nissan dealer, you're like, well, this is clearly nothing that I need to pay attention to. It's time to check my email. Right. But you, but the, having another human digest the experience for you can be helpful. Yeah, it's almost like they're curating the game for you. So right. instead of just staring at the screen for three hours, you can stare at the screen for maybe two hours of that three hours because they'll tell you when to look up. Right. Okay. Very good. Okay. Uh, what I, a thing, uh, that I currently need explained to me is, um, among the many things I need explained to me, this is the most appropriate <laughs> at this particular moment though, is what is happening with the Cincinnati Reds? Um, right the, now? No, they're in the off season, so I think they're all sitting at okay. home. Well, no, they're not all sitting, their front office, their front office, well the members of their front office are doing something. And, and, it's not entirely clear to me, right? Because there seems to be quite a bit of discussion of the possible 
of of Eraldis Chapman and Todd Frazier as possible trade candidates. Well, right? Chapman is Chapman is one hundred percent going to be a trade this winter. Okay, all right. I mean, one hundred percent. No one's one hundred percent. Ninety nine percent. I mean, they're openly talking about like timelines for when they would like to trade him by. Yes, I saw that. Well, because Jeff Jeff Sullivan considered this in to some degree yesterday, looking at Eraldis Chapman. He used the word timeline, time frame as well. Yeah, well, I mean, the general man, the new GM, who's you know an assistant GM with a nicer title this year, uh, Dick Williams, he basically came out and said we would like to have Chapman traded before the winter meetings, which start in like 11 days. Okay. So, you know, when you're saying something like that, you're essentially saying like we feel like we're far enough down the road with probably at least one and maybe multiple teams that they can essentially pick between kind of standing offers. Like if you didn't. You know, if you felt like you didn't have a match with somebody, you weren't going to say, I'm going to trade him in the next 10 days. You're, you'd be creating artificial pressure to do something where, you know, maybe that wasn't realistic. But if you already have, like, three or four teams who said, like, I will do this and just get back to me, and all, you know that all you're really trying to do is, like, milk a team for an extra prospect or decide which package you like the best, uh, then you can publicly say, like, yeah, we're trading this in a week. Okay, so so why – right, so I know that the Reds were not particularly great last year. They and um there doesn't. There's not necessarily a lot that's changed. Well, I don't know. They're not experiencing a lot of natural turnover, I guess. Right, and it's not like a lot of their big contracts ended this this year. Um, right. So it. So to that end, uh, it's not necessarily looking very positive for 2016 as of this right now. Uh, in particular, because that's also quite a very difficult division, the NL Central. It's probably the hardest right now. True? Yeah, I'm gonna think that's, you know, probably the biggest factor in their decision making, at least it should be, is like, they probably could patch things together and try and make a run at 500 next year. Like, if Frazier has another good year and Joey Votto plays like Joey Votto and, you know, they get some decent young pitching and they find a veteran starter on the market for a mid-tier price, like, they could patch together an 80-win season if a few things broke right. But 80 wins in the National League Central doesn't get you anywhere close to the top of that division. Like, St. Louis, Pittsburgh, uh, and, and Chicago should all be expected to win 90 plus games the next year. And, and two of those three will probably win, you know, 93 or 94 or 95, uh, or higher. And so the bar to try and get into that race is, you know, 15 wins ahead of where the Reds are now. And it is wildly unrealistic to think that they can add 15 wins this offseason, which is why they're looking to go the other direction. Right. And so why, so what is the focus on Raldis Chapman specifically? I have some, uh, what are these called? Suspicions? I have some suspicions. Well, well the, the primary one is that he's a free agent at the end of next year. Okay, so, right. you know, usually when teams are rebuilding, the first thing they do is be like, hey, look, who's the guy we have the least amount of control over? Uh, that's why they traded Johnny Cueto and Mike Leake this summer, because they were going to be free agents this winter. So they already paired off the guys who uh, were going to be, you know, exp- essentially expiring contracts. Now for next year, Chapman is their primary expiring contract. And then the year after that, it's Frazier. Uh, and also Brandon Phillips, who doesn't have a ton of trade value, and Jay Bruce, uh, who has some, but probably less than Frazier. So those are the kinds of guys they're looking at because they have them for two more years at most. Uh, and I think, you know, with Chapman, the odds of them re-signing him for what look to be market value prices for relievers, as Jeff said, like we're seeing, you know, the Craig Kimbrell package, when you add up the value of the prospects Boston sent and the fact they're going to pay him, you know, close to $37, 38000000 million in the next three years, they valued Chapman, or they valued Kimberl at like 90, maybe 100 million dollars over those three seasons. Uh, the Reds are not going to pay Chapman, you know, 30 million dollars a year. Uh, so, you know, trading him now is, is pretty clearly the best option. Right. And, uh, so, I mean, the Kimberl, in terms of effectiveness, 
I would say Kimbrell and Chapman have been relatively close to each other, right, over the last, say, two, three years? Is that, are those? Yeah, uh, I think Kimbrell's basically the only guy on Chapman's tier in terms of bullpen performance. Right. Not, not Ken Giles? Uh, Ken Giles is good, but yeah. not quite at that level. Okay, all right. Um, um, so, so that is, so the Reds, um, I have to assume that they were happy to, to see the package that the Red Sox were willing to give up, uh, to acquire Craig Kimbrell. Yes and no. So like, yes, that you can point to that package and be like, look at the crazy valuation on relievers now. This is a, a sure sign that teams should pay more for relief pitching than they have previously, and this is our new established market value for high-end relievers. And also no, because the Red Sox were maybe the most <laughs> obvious team to trade with, and the team that most likely was going to underprice their their prospects because uh, Dave Dombrowski has a history of trading prospects for for present value help. They had a focus on their short-term team, and they had a deep farm system. So that's the team you should have probably wanted to trade with, and now that option is out the window. So, yes, you can now have a uh, a positive com- comparison point to point to for, for Chapman's market value, but you just lost your best bidder. Okay, so what do you think? Now, you mentioned that it's, uh, it's uh, not... Uh, it seems likely that there are offers on the table for Aldous Chapman. Yeah. Uh, if you were to guess, or uh, or if you were to guess, what do you suppose that those packages look like? So I think, like, Jeff actually did a pretty good job kind of narrowing it down. If you look at it, say Chapman's got one year left and then a qualifying offer at the end of the year, which has, you know, significant value. You're looking at Chapman as, like, a, you know, a 25 to $30 million asset, somewhere in that range, depending on how aggressive a team is with kind of their bullpen uh, valuation. And so if you're, you know, say, $25 million, you know, I think that's like a mid-level prospect. It's not a, you know, top 50 guy. It's not as good as any, you know, the best guy, Danny Margo, that the uh, Padres got, much less all the other stuff. Uh, I think realistically uh, the, the Red Sox paid a premium because it was three years of control for Kimbrell, and that's just something Chapman doesn't bring to the table. So one year and a pick uh, versus three years for Kimbrell, I think you're, you're definitely going to get less. Um, I, could, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if someone – Maybe pushed into like that 25 to 50 range prospect, but I don't think the Reds are going to get a, a super high end guy. And if they want multiple pieces, then the, the best guy is going to be a back end top 100 type. I think like you're not going to get, you know, a Margo and a Guerra and some extra stuff like the, like the Padres got. I think that, that deal is just out, out of range most likely. And so, and uh, what are the clubs? I mean, typically the, the teams looking for relief help. Um, or teams that have um, some designs on competing in the in the next season. Uh, with that in mind, I suppose, or maybe some other factors. Who do you what do you regard as the most likely um, destinations for uh, for Aldis Chapman? Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're basically looking for uh, teams that have a very narrow window to win, most likely, and teams with some financial muscle. I mean, like teams with 80 and 90 million dollar payrolls probably can't spend 13 million on a reliever. Uh, or at least don't think they can. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if you're looking at like teams with like, you know, larger-ish payrolls, uh, who think they can win in the short term. Um, you know, depending on what the Mets do this offseason, they actually make some sense. I know Gary's Familia was really good in that closer role for them and they don't necessarily need a closer, but they might look at it and say, hey, look, you know, uh, maybe we don't want to spend big on, uh, middle infielder. Maybe they miss out on Ben Zobristreen, Desmond or whatever. They, they decide not to re-sign Yohan Cespedes, but they've got some money to throw around. Uh, you know, Chapman could actually make sense for them and really give them a crazy good one-two punch at the back end of their bullpen, which was clearly a weakness in the postseason. Um, I don't think there's any 
question. The Astros have been making noise about, you know, acquiring a closer and probably one of the really good ones. Uh, they have a little bit of trouble attracting free agent talent there, so making trades probably makes sense for them. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if they were in the mix. Uh, you know, I think you're probably gonna you have like, uh, the Dodgers call just because they're the Dodgers and they have, you know, they call on everyone who's good. Uh, you know, maybe the, you know, the Cubs would call, but probably not because they're in the same division. Uh, my guess is it comes down to like, you know, Houston, uh, probably being the most likely, uh, maybe the Mets if they, if circumstances break right. Um, you know, I, I don't think we're actually going to see as many bidders. The Red Sox really were the team that made the most sense mm-hmm. as a buyer for an elite closer and uh, they're off the market now, so. So, and then, uh, and then what happens with uh, Todd Frazier? Is he, uh, I mean, he, he had a, a pretty good, at least a, a good first half, if I'm remembering correctly. He had a great first half and a pretty crappy second half. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, but it ended up to, it ended up in the end to be a pretty good season. Overall, yeah, I think he's yeah. a four-win player, which yeah. is kind of what he's settled in as. He's like an above-average uh, hitter, but not an elite hitter. Plays good, but not great defense at third base and isn't a crazy good base runner. He's just kind of across the board, good quality player. Uh, he's got power, so I think he's going to, you know, generate interest because there's not that much power in the game anymore. It's ticking up a little bit, but it's still a more rare skill set. Um, so I, I think, you know, if the Reds actually trade Frazier, there will be a good market for him. I think, uh, you know, he would get back probably the most of anyone on their team. Like if you're, if you're looking at like, how do we import the most young talent to the Reds, trading Todd Frazier is probably the way to do it. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> leaving that uh, conversation for a moment, we turn to Kenta Maida. You think I'm saying it right? I think so, yeah. Sure. Kenta Maida, a pitcher in the, um, NPB, Japanese pitcher, is, um, has what he's asked to be posted? Is that uh, part of? Believe, yeah, he went to his team and said he wants to pitch in Major League Baseball next year. And what is it? Uh, what do we know about even just an action like that? Is that a is that like a formal request or is that uh, really as much as a player can do in order to convince his team that he wants to go to the states? I mean, I believe that like, it was kind of a formal request and that he did it in a meeting with the team. It's not like he yeah. just came out to the media and said like, "Hey." Post me, please. Like he actually went to his team ownership and, and management and said, "I would like." You but to they're do not this. obligated necessarily to post. They're not obligated, they, right. but usually I think if a player asks to be posted, it's not a guarantee, but it seems likely that it will happen. Right. Um, and uh, now, Ido Saris uh, provided a nice look at Kenta Maeda, and it seems as though uh, while uh, he possesses some promise, uh, he's not necessarily on the along the same lines as a as a U Darvish, for example, in terms of uh, in terms of talent. Yeah, the stuff's not the same. It's more, uh, kind of the, the, before Darvish and Tanaka came over, Japanese pitchers kind of had a reputation as being like deceptive command guys with splitters who sit in the low 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might be more along the lines of Sashi Iwakuma, who, you know, uh, has been a very good pitcher, or Hiroki Kuroda. I think that's kind of the style of pitcher that Maida is more like, rather than Darvish and Tanaka who throw 94. Okay, alright, and do we, uh, what do we anticipate with regard to this? Are there certain clubs uh, for example, that are that are predisposed to uh, to looking um, at international talent as opposed to others. Well, I think the team that's been like the most conspicuous in their uh, statements about Mida is the Arizona Diamondbacks. So, like, uh, they basically have said, you know, we like this guy, we're going to make a play for him. Uh, they're not really subtle in their <laughs> management style anymore. Dave Stewart just basically telegraphs all his moves, and he's told everyone that he's going to make a run at Mida. Uh, I think, given their financial limitations and the fact they're not going to be in on price, and probably Jordan Zimmerman and Cueto and those types of guys. Mida might be the best 
pitcher they can sign this winter and you know, kind of in their budget range. So uh, I think they're the team that's probably going to get connected to him the most. Uh, but I think, you know, there's uh, a host of other teams who um, could use starting pitching and, and have – uh, you know, Pacific scouts and say, you can see the San Francisco Giants maybe in on him. Uh, you know, I think there will be a, probably a, a good number of teams that bid, but I think if you were just saying, based on public comments and kind of what we know about their offseason plans, the Diamondbacks probably the favorites. Okay. All right. Um, and, uh, I don't know, is there anything of particular, you know, is, is this going to follow, uh, the same sort of model we've seen in the cases of other pitchers who've come over from the MPB, where, you know, you'll get a posting fee and, and uh, people bid, and then someone wins, and that it, that's it. Now you have a new player. Well, they changed the rules now, right? So, like, uh, team, you know, the multiple teams can uh, try to sign a guy uh, after they've put the posting fee out, right? So, like, uh, it's not win or take all on the posting fee anymore. Well, who, when did they do that? A couple of years ago. Well, that's like ridiculous. The, I knew there the was a cap. Right? I know there's a cap. There's a, definitely a cap. Was it $20 million or something? Yeah, they put $20 million thing in place, and any team who bids that $20 million can try to sign him. What if you bid less than $20 million? Then, uh, Well, then you got outbid. Then you got outbid, and you can no longer... Right, yeah. If you got outbid, and you don't put in the max thing, then yeah. you got outbid. Yeah, okay, get, yeah, sure. You don't get negotiation rights. But if everyone... Like, if there's a tie in the posting fee, then uh, the teams that tied can all... Negotiate with them. And will will uh, will Midas Club receive a, a twenty million dollar posting fee? Do you suppose? Seems likely. Okay. I I would think. Uh, yeah, uh, based on how good Midas expected to be, I would be surprised if the posting fee was less than twenty million. Okay. All right. Very good. That's uh, uh that's fine. I want to. Uh, you wrote. What is it? I would say sometime over the last week. Let's say. Let's say it was last. Let's say last Friday. No, let's not say last Friday. That's when you wrote your free agent landmines piece. That was Friday, yeah. Yeah, you also wrote a free agent gold mines piece. Well, I didn't call it that. Bargains is what I called them. Oh yeah, but they could be gold mines too, right? Uh, I don't know. First gold mines seems like it's like uh, something that uh, I don't know. Yeah, Mo- I guess. But I, to to preserve the mining aspect. Yeah. Well, I think landmines are very different from mining. <laughs> yeah, but they have the word mine in them. Phonetic similarity, if nothing else. Yeah, right. Uh, Jason Hayward, anyway, is, uh, he's probably, he's likely to be one of what, the top three? The, he's gonna be the second most expensive free agent. The second most expensive free agent. And, yet, and he might, he might be the most expensive. He might get more than price. And yet, uh, also, uh, the top bargain, according to you. Yeah, the people didn't really like that idea, is that like a very expensive player could also be a bargain. But I think, you know, uh, it shouldn't be that, hard to make the connection between understanding that something that is expensive can also be undervalued, right? Like if I offered to sell you Apple, the, the company, not yeah. my, not an Apple, but like the, you know, the, the, the iPhone maker. Yeah, yeah I'm familiar with yeah, the, yeah. the So if I offered to sell them to you for like a million dollars, you would be like, what a crazy steal. Also, I don't have a million dollars. But, like uh, you know, that would be a bargain and out of your price range. So like Jason Hayward, Two teams that can't afford him, like Tampa Bay or Oakland or whatever, not a bargain. Not a but bargain. two teams with significant payroll who are looking for a really good player who isn't close to his aging uh, decline phase, uh, he could end up being a bargain because he possesses the skills the market still doesn't pay for. Right. So uh, Craig Edwards uh, recently uh, provided a thorough examination of yeah. of uh, Jason Hayward's free agent, uh, free agent candidacy, I guess it's candidacy. Yeah. His, uh, sure. uh, what he's likely to offer teams, and you look back and found some historical comparables, and uh, the results are quite favorable. Yeah, uh, it would appear that players, um, 
You know, of course, you can never find an exact combo, but if you look at uh, his family of players, as it were, uh, they, by and large, they've turned out uh, to be uh, quite productive uh, after the fact. Yeah, I mean, I think the the narrative around Hayward is that he's not that good a hitter, and he gets a ton of value from his defense, which peaks early, and therefore a team that pays for it's going to regret it when he's no longer an elite defender in a couple of years. Uh, and I think you know people point to Carl Crawford or you know guys like that as examples of other similar-ish players who didn't perform very well after getting a whole lot of money on a free agency. So like you said, it's nothing's a guarantee. Hayward is certainly not any kind of like risk-free proposition that could happen. But I think the the narrative understates his offensive value. I mean, I think if you look at like the career WRC plus of like Yohan Cespedes and Justin Upton are both at like 121 and they're seen as like offense first players who you can put right in the middle of their lineup. And they've done that through like their age 28 in Upton's case or through 30 in, in Cespedes's case seasons. So this is kind of like the prime of their careers has already happened and their career WRC plus is 121. Hayward's at 118 through age 25. <laughs> like the gap here is, uh, uh, on offense is just not as large as people perceive it to be. It, he, Hayward's a worse hitter than those two, but it's not like he's a terrible hitter. He's a, an above-average quality hitter who also happens to be one of the best defensive players on the planet. So, and, and that's a that's a difficult thing. I, I will admit, even for me, to fully comprehend because uh, you know most of the times I've seen him playing, he's been in well, he's probably right field typically, right? Uh, and it's uh, it's not even you know even with a, a sort of new generation of corner outfielders like uh, you mentioned Carl Crawford like uh, Brett Gardner say um, like uh, Alex Gordon for example who we know are producing value despite the fact that they're playing uh, in a in an outfield corner uh, it's it you say well it, it, to me it seems there's a difference between producing value at that corner and then potentially you know, worth more than any of the, you know, I mean, hypothetically, than any of the center fielders who are potentially available. Right. Well, I mean, this is a particularly uh, poor class of center fielders. Like, almost all the good outfielders this year are corner guys with Gordon and Upton and Cespedes. Uh, you know, you can stick Cespedes in center, but it's not a good idea, as the Mets showed in the postseason. Um, so this is a really good year to be buying corner outfielders and not, not as good a year to be buying center fielders. But, uh, right, I mean, I think people definitely have this bias where they believe that, I mean, it's an old cliche, right? Like, you have to be strong up the middle and put your defenders up the middle and you put power in the corners. And that's kind of how people built their baseball teams for a really long time. Uh, you just took as, like, the best defensive players you could get at catcher, shortstop, center field, and second base, and then you prioritized hitting at first, second, uh, first, third, right, and left because you need some hitting and you've already wasted four spots on the field on defense. Uh, I think now that we can kind of see that there just aren't that many plays that are, uh, you know, made by both the right fielder and the center fielder, the idea that defense only matters up the middle is an outdated canard. Like, uh, you oh, know, it's a canard. It's a canard, yeah. Oh, I've, been, uh, yeah I've been looking for a canard recently. Yeah, well, here we, we have found one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a duck, yeah. I believe, as well. <laughs> a canard, canard is French for duck. I don't know what the etymology is, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. You're suggesting uh, that Jason Hayward is a, is, is a is foul. A duck. Yeah, right. Uh, well, Jason Hayward can cover foul ground. So, oh, very yeah, good. Maybe. Oh, well done. Well, well turned. Yeah. Uh, no, right. I, mean, I think people now realize, uh, especially in in baseball, that there are 
most plays that a, are made by a defender are, can only be made by that defender. Like a ball is hit in his direction and his direction only. And it's not that like, oh, well, if I have a really good center fielder, then I can hide a bad defender in left and right because the center fielder is going to go catch everything. Like most of the balls are not hit to the where the center fielder can get to. Uh, so there are more balls hit up the middle than, than to each side. Uh, so you do want to put your best defenders up the middle. It's, that part's still true. But the idea that defense only matters up the middle and doesn't matter in the corner, that's just outright false. Outright false. Yeah. All these outright falsities. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that I think like, baseball has gotten wrong for a really long time. And the, the fact that there are still people who defend this idea, uh, that, like, you know, you can only be a valuable defensive player <laughs> at these four positions is mind-boggling. The um, I will say that I do not think I had properly appreciated Jason Hayward until uh, this offseason when uh, his free agency gave me cause to think about it and gave uh, others cause to write about it. I mean, we've been writing about Jason. Like, I think I wrote a piece back in, or maybe Mike Petriello wrote it before MLB.com stole him from us. Uh, that said he was going to be a $200 million player, like, you know, last winter. Like, this is yeah, I don't, I don't like, read all the articles at, okay, well, at Fangraphs. Come on. Yeah, I guess, I guess we forced you to start reading when we made you editor. <laughs> yeah, you did. It's true. Yeah. Uh, that was smart. That was yeah. smart. All right. Uh, well, I feel, uh, I think I feel pretty satisfied. Am, am I missing anything big, do you suppose? Uh, no, I mean, I think the baseball offseason has been slow, uh, so far. I mean, we had those couple big trades, uh, yeah, a couple right big trades. That. That's exciting. And then, and then everything kind of ground to a halt. I think, like, the fact that the offseason began later this year, uh, has kind of compressed things to where people are like, well, no real reason to push things because the winter meetings aren't that far away. And, um, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if something happens the end of this week and maybe even after we record the podcast like maybe someone gets a deal in before Thanksgiving mm-hmm. uh, but mostly I think uh, we haven't had that much to digest yet yeah uh, you did mention uh, that the the winter meetings are coming up um, uh, it's reminding me of a number of things including that I ought to buy a ticket a plane ticket if you want to go there yes yeah and then you could walk or drive no well yes I could there's some alternate means of transport uh, however in terms of efficiency, uh, certainly the plane most dependable in that way. So mm, I don't know about dependable, but quickest. Uh, yeah. In terms of efficiency, in terms of efficiency. I mean, I, I just would never describe uh, Are you taking a plane? No, you're probably driving, aren't you? I'm driving. So it's you only like six and a half hours from my house. Yeah, all right. All right. And then also I will be transporting Jeff Sullivan back to my house after the winter meetings oh, because he wants to come see where I live. Well, uh, in fact, uh, as you and I speak, uh, a complete conversation with Jeff Sullivan uh, is currently on my computer desktop and will be the thing on which I'm I'm working uh, working to edit uh, directly after you and I get off the the phone here okay so this podcast will go next week no it will be uh, be up in the morning yeah okay yeah well happy Thanksgiving everyone yeah uh, yeah that is all right well thank you in uh, cameras I've, if I failed to note it uh, you have fulfilled your obligation. Hooray, hooray. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, that has been Dave Cameron, the managing editor of Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Fangraphs Audio.